What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 6 to The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a Wednesday morning edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, Jonathan Taylor Thomas Talks Baseball Edition. John, good morning. How are you? I like how you're still running with that gimmick. I'm never going to drop it. I'm very stubborn, John. I've, I've gathered. I've noticed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going. And one day, John, the, I think the ultimate goal should be we eventually get Jonathan Taylor Thomas on this podcast to talk about the Detroit Tigers because I believe home improvement um, was out of Detroit. And if anyone knows the Detroit Tigers and their long-term rebuild, it's got to be Jonathan Taylor Thomas, right? Was it? I didn't actually know that. I couldn't, I didn't know that that was, I mean, obviously it was set somewhere in particular, but I never actually thought like, Hey, where is home improvement set? I could be wrong, but I remember Tim Allen wearing Detroit Lions and Detroit Red Wings gear all the time. Well, he's from he's from Detroit, right? Maybe that would make That's, sense. I'm pretty sure. So I'm pretty sure he's from Detroit. Show wasn't set there. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't actually. I mean, like, granted, it's been a long time since I watched Home Improvement, and I never really paid much attention in the first place. So, I, I, but I, I got, do. I got to look I, this up now. Yeah, I am pretty sure that Tim Allen is from Detroit. Well, and that's why he wears all to do that because didn't everybody loves Raymond set in New York where he's from? Um, King of Queens. Guess what? Kevin James from Queens. Um, the show was in Detroit. It was set in Detroit. There. Okay, well, there you go. It was actually filmed in Burbank, California, though. Big shocker! They did not. Yo, they, yeah, like every. No, no show. Like, few, if any of those shows were ever filmed on any kind of location. They just did, like, they just had, like, B-roll and exterior shots from where they were supposed to be. Yeah. All right, John. Well, we decided last anyway. week that we were going to talk about the Chicago Cubs this week because you, you have some Cubs takes. And um, I don't know if you knew this or not, John, but uh, David Ross is friends with a lot of those guys that he is now managing. Did you know David Ross won a World Series with the Cubs? I did know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People forget. <laughs> People forget. Um, it was a good story. He really wanted that job. It's like a lifelong thing for him. He seems like a really likable dude. Um, he's replacing Joe Madden. But the Cubs are just in this weird spot because 
Oh, the computers don't like the Cubs. They don't. They didn't like them last year. They're waiting for something to just the bottom to fall out. Like some people have been writing that they were just ahead of their time, and now that it's the moment's passed and they got to recalibrate. Do you bring in David Ross because you want to rebuild or because you want to keep this thing going for a little bit longer? Um, it's interesting because he was like a big recruiter and getting Craig, Craig Kimball there. And um, I don't know. Is this the year, in your opinion, that the Chicago Cubs actually fall out of the playoffs and fall out of um, con- contention in the NL? I mean, obviously, and that's this is you know the caveat we now have to append to everything that it depends entirely on what the structure of the po- of the season looks like if we do have a season. Um, but it's hard not to feel like this. They just don't seem very good, do they? Like anymore, you know that there's just not that same depth. There's not that same kind of you know, guys at their peak. Um, this is definitely a team that is now starting to, excuse me, starting to get older. I mean, not like substantially. I mean, guys like Brian, they're Chris Bryant and Javi Baez are still, you know, on the younger side. I mean, Bryant is, well, I mean, Bryant's going to be 28 this year. Bryant's going to be 26, but like, I don't know. It's, it's just, you, yeah. yeah. You just have a lot of issues with regards to, you know, the depth is not there. The, the, the high draft picks, you know, Albert Almora has not really, he's fine defensively, but he, he cannot hit. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's still young, but yeah. Um, Kyle Schwarber is fine. You know, I don't think he's the hitter. They thought he was going to be. He's fine. He's got a ton of power, um, but he's not really an average OVP guy. It's just a ton of dingers. Mm-hmm. Um, Addison Russell, obviously that, that whole mess. That hurt him. That, that, that is that is done, thankfully, for everyone involved. That took um, way too long. We, people forget that that took way too long, and that was insane, and we don't talk about that enough of how weird that that was and how long that took. And, uh, But that is a... Yeah. Like, if none of that happens, that is something that, um, if his off-the-field stuff doesn't happen, like, he was an important trade piece and, like, important part of their future, and I wonder how much of that actually shapes how we think of them. But then again, when you look at Javier Baez, like Nico Horner is a first round pick. It's not like they didn't have depth in the infield. Like you have Chris Bryant there. So I guess it's not that severe. It's just weird because they have like, you look at, you know, especially you look at what I've always felt with the Cubs is that, you know, the window that they opened um, starting kind of a little ahead of schedule in 2015, when they made it all the way to the NLCS and lost the Mets. Um, that was kind of that window opening, and then they won the World Series. You figure, okay, this is a this is a potential dynasty in the making. They have this is this team is loaded in every possible way, and it just hasn't played out since. Then you look now, you look at their the contract status of the guys on that team. Um, John Lester will probably this will probably be John Lester's last season in with the Cubs, if not his last season in baseball, because uh, he's going to be there's a there is a team option for 2021 for $25 million. It's almost certainly not going to be picked up. Um, Anthony Rizzo will be, has a team option for 2021 that almost certainly will be picked up, but that'll be his last season under contract before he reaches free agency. Um, Jose Quintana will be a free agent after the season. Uh, 
Chris Bryant 2021 will be his last ARB season. And there's all, and I imagine this will be a whole different topic of discussion, but there's obviously a lot of rumble that he is not going to be, that he's not long for that team. Um, Baez next season, 2021 is his last season of arbitration. Kyle Schwarber, 2021 is his last season of arbitration. You know, in terms of long-term guys, we're going to be there, you know, 2022 and beyond. Really, it's, it's Wilson Contreras, um, who is does not seem to be a favorite of anyone there anymore. And that's about it. And then guys like, and then and then Jason Hayward, which I, I assume the Cubs are very upset, like would very much not prefer that. And you Darvish, who had a tremendous second half. It's really, the, the long-term guys you have there, Jason Hayward, you Darvish, Kyle Hendricks. Uh, and Wilson Contreras. Those are the guys you kind of have blocked in past 2022. And I'm sure if you were to ask, you know, Theo Epstein, you know, obviously get rid of Jason Hayward, but I'm sure he does not feel great that the two pitchers he has under contract long-term are both over 30. Or that his one hitter that he can, that he knows will be there past 2022 is a catcher who seems to be going backwards defensively and has had some durability issues uh, so far, only played 105 games last year. Only play, played 138 the year before, 117 the year before that. You know, obviously, you know, catcher should probably not be playing more than 125 games, 140 games at max. Anyway, that's a huge workload. But th- this is kind of this is the problem I see with the Cubs that everything kind of rests on 2020 and 2021. These these are the the last two years of that core, unless that team starts handing out some big contracts or big extensions. And the other problem with the Cubs is that they've shown so far over the last two off seasons. Now they have no appetite for handing out big money anymore, either internally or in free agency. Um, Because you have an ownership group that is now just complaining constantly that they're broke. Um, Even now when we're, when we're, when there are all these discussions are happening about, you know, making the finance, making a financial arrangement for this season, Regardless of how it's going to play out, you have um, the Ricketts coming out and saying that their losses are biblical, which is insane to think about. You know, also, this is the mean anything. Like when he used that word, it's like, what does that actually mean? Yeah, what what does that what does that mean for starters? But you know, the, the Ricketts have made a lot of noise over the last couple of years that they are maxed out budget wise. Mm-hmm. They have no money left. That you know they need to scale back that, you know, they spent a lot of money renovating Wrigley that they spent a lot of money on the marquee sports network, which is, I don't know for sure if it's launched yet, but regardless, there's nothing for it to be airing anyway. So, you know, that they have dropped a lot of money on the stuff around the Cubs that they've, but then they stopped spending on the Cubs, um, which, well, I mean, anything you spend around the Cubs is technically money spent on the Cubs, but you know, that has been their drumbeat for the last two, the last two years now. And it has not stopped in this kind of, you know, as we, as, as major league baseball tries to figure out a 2020 season, they've just, you know, the Ricketts have been at the forefront of, you know, we will lose hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it is, which of course is, it's lunacy, you know, it's how can the Cubs were basically a brand unto themselves lose that much money it's it just doesn't jive and of course we're never going to know for sure because we can't see you know we cannot see their books we can't see any of that stuff that is all kept private from us but it just it doesn't it doesn't scan does it it, it is hard to believe that the chicago cub who just three and a half years at four is now 
almost four years ago when they won a World Series that probably resulted in a kajillion dollars in revenue. You know, a franchise that is worth somewhere reaching probably two and three billion dollars that rakes in money from from at least half the city, if not more, not to mention all the Cubs fans across the world. You know, a brand unto themselves, like I said. How is it the point where the, the in the 2019 offseason, their biggest expenditure was Daniel Descalzo? You know, like... Has, I think, if I had to guess what the Ricketts game plan is, I'm not saying I support it, but what I think is they're not... Like the reason they haven't gotten in, gotten in on anybody in the last two winners, anybody substantial, is that they really want to see what happens with their network, their independent network. That would be my guess. If they get it to be the point where it's more lucrative than the NBC Sports Chicago relationship, and the new carriage agreements with cable companies are just a huge cash cow for them that we'll see them get back in and then it's just like out of nowhere chris bryant signs 10-year deal with the cubs like i w- part of me believes that because of all the renovations and everything they've been spending on wrigley plus leaving their television deal for this independent tv network i i think they're going through a transition and they want to see how much money this actually brings in because this might be a game changer for them like it really might um it could go the other it way could too. be but if it is a game changer, then they could start spending like the Yankees. Like to your point where it's like it's the Cubs, they have, they're always going to sell out. They have the stadium, they have this, that, and the other. It's a huge market. I would not be surprised if that's what they're thinking is, is that they wanted to just be like, they don't want to lose their core guys yet. But they also don't want to just dive in just in case that this TV stuff does not work out because then they're in real trouble. So I, that would be my guess. That's, that's just me. And I totally get that, and I would not be surprised if that is the case. But at the same time, it's like the Ricketts are worth a billion dollars. That family, that's the family that, if we're being honest. Yeah, they own TD Ameritrade, or at least founded TD Ameritrade. I don't know what what, um, stake they still have in the company. But, you know, they, they don't need, this is not the equivalent of the Marlins with Bruce Sherman who put up who's rich, but didn't put up a huge amount of money. And Derek Jeter put up very little money. You know, this is not the equivalent of, or, or, or of, I, 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 off the top of my head, I don't know who the quote unquote poor ownership groups are. The ones who are not like billionaires many times over, but the Cubs ownership is not an ownership that needs to wait for the new network to, to come into being and to start generating profit. Yeah, be, it, 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 it makes sense the White Sox, honestly. Yeah, yeah. If this were the White Sox we were talking about, a team that is, you know, obviously the, the obviously the second team in a city, you know, playing in an area that is not as, I mean, you know, you you've been to Chicago, you've been to Wrigleyville, you've, have you been to both ballparks? I've not been to both. I've driven by the White Sox ballpark, but I've only been to Wrigley. Yeah, yeah like. I'm just going to call it Comiskey because I do not remember for the life of me what it's called anymore. I um, still have the thing, the colorful um, lollipops that rise up in center field. And that's, I believe they Comiskey. do, but like, obvi- obviously like the Cubs are, the Cubs are, are the more visible Chicago team. They're the Yankees to the White Sox Mets. Um, you know, yes, that's where the White Sox we were talking about. And Jerry Reinsdorf has notorious skin flint. That's one thing. It's but called again, guaranteed the rate field, by the way. 
Catchy name. Oh, right, because they have the yeah, because the mortgage company because they have that dumb downward facing arrow that everyone made fun of. So it's like, why would you put that in your team logo? Yeah, no, we're calling or it not, like the J. Ballpark this is logo. Still Comiskey. I'm not calling it that. It's Comiskey. Yeah. Regardless, it, it's just one of those things where it's like this ownership group should not need that extra stream of revenue to get spending. They already are worth a ton of money. And the Cubs are a money printing machine. They're not on the level of the Yankees, I don't think, because no one is on the level of the Yankees. But certainly, like with regards to like, they're they're there with the Dodgers and the Red Sox and other teams that are just they're again their own brands. So I can understand. Okay, fine. The Ricketts want to wait for Marquee Sports Network to get up and running. They sunk a lot of money into into Wrigley renovations recently. I do remember that there was when all those emails from the Ricketts family got leaked via. I want to. I can't remember who. I don't think it was. Was it Deadspin? I can't remember. They had. I remember back in the day. They got you know who it was. I believe it was. I believe it was just Gawker. I believe it was just straight oh, up Gawker. That's what it was okay. Um, or one of the one of the GMG sites. Um, regardless, back. I remember I those. Yeah, I remember when those got leaked. There was there was some complaining in those emails from one Ricketts or another that um, they should be receiving money to from the city or from the state to pay for the to pay for the renovations yeah, instead of paying this. out of their own pocket, which is absurd. And it's like, fine, you've spent money on renovating the stadium. You have spent money on starting this network. You have, you know, you've obviously spent money just on the team itself, although increasingly little. But you shouldn't have to wait. Like, you shouldn't have to wait for that windfall, especially when you come again. We remember stuff like when when MLB sold Bamtech to Disney, that was $50 million. $50 million to every single owner. No strings attached. No default, no nothing. Here's just $50 million generated by that sale. Not to mention that the league is richer than it has ever been before. And granted, it's not like the league is taking its revenues and dispersing them equally to every team. But this is not a sport where people are, where teams are struggling financially. You know, this is not like, this is not like the, the women's hockey league, the NWHL, I believe is what it's called, where, you know, each team is on the, it's seemingly on the brink of bankruptcy every, every day. You know, this is not, you know, this this is not some like sec- seventh tier soccer league where you have to you know have to make your own uniforms. Like it's absurd that the Cubs are even in a position where they could say at all. Like, oh, we just need to wait for some checks to clear. Basically, you're the Cubs. You can spend whatever you want. Do you know who the biggest free agent they signed this winter was? Steven Souza. I would say it's your choice of Steven Souza or Jeremy Jeffress or maybe Jason Kipnis if you're feeling generous. I, I love that Kipnis got signed. Wasn't ready to walk away I, from Kipnis mania. Those those three guys might be worth a combined one to one point five WAR this season. I mean, obviously, again, caveat: no one knows how long the season's going to be, so WAR is going to be a weird calculation. But suffice to say, those guys are not going to make a difference to the twenty twenty Chicago. Work? Are Cubs. they going to just extrapolate all the stats as like what basically like the points per hundred possessions for basketball? Are they going to do that with baseball? No, because WAR WAR is not a per one sixty two stat. WAR is just a, a simple well, no, what I'm per saying game. Is how stat. you can do like for some of the stats? That's just like what I've thought about. Is just like is that going to be something they have to do? Is just extrapolate out as what what their numbers have been for one hundred sixty two oh, games? Oh yeah, I mean that's boy. Like once once we do actually get. Um, some kind of idea of how long the season's going to be and what the structure is going to be. There is going to be a lot to be said and done about what effect that's going to have on um, what what effect that's going to have on on numbers and the stats. That's a whole huge weird conversation. 
it's to the point where the legitimacy of that stuff is one of the things that makes you wonder if we're honestly better off just not having a season, yeah. which I know is certainly not the opinion of Major League Baseball. But it is something I wonder about at this point where it's like it's just not going to be legitimate by any stretch of the imagination at this point. But that's a whole different conversation from the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But at least the Chinese Baseball League's bringing in robots. And the fans. Oh, that's good. That's good. Did you see that? Finally, I, I had not seen that. I, I have not. I have unfortunately not really kept up with the uh, CPBL. Yes. Well, they're going to have uh, robots in the stands. Like that's what they're. Well, doing. that's wild. That's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's that, so that's that's my thing for the Cubs. This window is closing because they're all those contracts are running up. They're going to have to pay if they they have to choose. You know, if they want to keep both Baez and Bryant, they have to figure out what number is going to make that functional. If they can only keep one, they have to figure out who. Well, we know who it is. And if they're keeping Baez, like that's the thing. It's like Baez is the one they're keeping. There's no. And question. I was going to say because because the relationship with Bryant has been so damaged at this right. point because of that wholly unnecessary um, bit of contract manipulation they pulled because of Bryant losing the grievance. Like he he did lose the grievance, right? Yes. Yeah, so because of him losing that grievance, like it, it's it's just not like you're right. Like it's gonna if they're gonna keep anyone, it's gonna be Baez. And so then the question becomes, okay, if you've already decided Baez is the guy you build with, because the other part of that is the other the other guy in that mix, Anthony Rizzo, is gonna be is gonna I believe turns thirty one at the end of this year, so he's not really a guy you can build on going forward. No. So if that's your decision, okay, Javi Baez is gonna be the face of our of our franchise going forward. Then what do you do with Baez? You know, you have counting this year, you have two more years of team control left with him before he's a free agent. Do you trade him this? You trade him during the season? If you get off to, if, if assuming the season is a decently long one, then you, you, you don't look like you're going to make the playoffs. I mean, I guess with the, with the expanded playoffs, the Cubs probably will make it. But I think you, you know, trade him you, anyway. That's the thing. Like, you, now you have to figure out what you're doing with Chris Bryant and what you're going to get back for him. They, and then once that I mean, happens, then that's it. You have blown up that core. And yeah, that's it. The thing with the Cubs, too, though, which is different, when other teams blow up their core, like when the Indians trade Lindor finally, then you're like, okay, they're starting over. The Cubs are different right. because they could just spend next winter, like they're the Yankees, and replace him. Like, they're one of the teams that could spend enough where Theo Epstein's like, you know what? No, we're just going to go get a replacement, we're going to go find our... Uh, we're going to go trade for Nolan Arenado or something. Like, that would and that's not... The thing. Be, like they, they could do something they like very well. They very well could. But the problem is, as we've said, is like, are they going to? Well, I think it's a... They're like one of five teams in Major League Baseball that could just turn that switch back on and be like, yeah, we're going to go do this now. But I just I just don't believe that necessarily anymore. And, and granted, yeah, sure, things could change. But especially now, especially given the way... um. Oh, this is random. Chris Archer is done for the year. Um, oh no! This is like God, that trade. Yeah, yeah. the all timer. We I feel like we bring it up on every podcast, but good. Yeah, God. the Pirates is we we cannot avoid them. Um, hey, you refuse to talk about them, and here you are bringing up Chris Archer. Well, I mean, it's it's relevant with the NL Central. It's relevant. I mean, not that anyone was expecting the Pirates to be challenging for anything this year, but except maybe the number one pick. Of neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, the Cubs. So what was I saying about the Cubs though? That we, 
oh, that, you know, sure, yeah, maybe they can turn this, the faucet back on. But the other thing to consider is like, okay, this offseason, if, if everything teams have been saying is, it's obviously not true, but if it's not a horrid exaggeration, if there is some, if there is some truth to it, that they are going to lose money this year, or at the very least not make as much money as they would have, which I think is, I think that's the most accurate way to put it. The Cubs and every other team in Major League Baseball will not be making as much money as they would have if this season had been normal. That is, I don't think anyone can really quibble with that. But the, the, the result of that is going to be that the Cubs and every other team in Major League Baseball are going to go into this winter and decide, you know what? We made less money. We spend less money. You know, we just we don't have as much money as we would have liked for free agents. And again, there's nothing, not nothing, but like because those because the revenue, because revenue and, and all that and those books remain closed, we don't know that for sure. But that's the excuse we're going to get. We already know, we, we can at least already surmise that there is going to be yet another free agent slowdown this winter because teams are going to say, we didn't, we didn't make as much money as we normally do, so we don't have anything to spend. And I think the Cubs are going to be right there because they've spent the last two winters doing that. So at this point, then, you are, you are waiting for the Cubs in the winter of 2021, which, again, Chris Bryant's last season under contract. Javi Baez's last season under contract. Um, I think he'll be extended you know, before then. Maybe, but regardless... At that point, you were talking about you're talking about waiting another 18 months or so before the Cubs start spending again. Yeah. What and so what are you doing during 2020? What are you doing during 2021? Well, I think they're because again, you, profit you look and maybe pseudo contend. Because again, you look at who is going to be gone in 2021. John Lester will not be there. Yeah. Uh, Jose Quintana will not be there. Tyler Chatwood, who granted is not particularly good or useful, will not be there. Um, you will have to figure out a re- rotation. And if there's one area of development and drafting the Cubs have really, really struggled with, it's starting pitching. They just have not, they have not produced any useful, good starting pitching in quite a long time. I mean, you look at their draft results from the last, I mean, obviously leaving out, leaving out last year because no one, no one except Nico Herner. Oh, no, sorry. Or Nico Herner wasn't last year. He was the year before. But just looking at their first round picks, you know, uh, 2017, they picked a left-hander out of uh, State College of Florida named Brendan Little. Has not, has not reached the majors. Granted, he is 23 years old, so he's still got some time. But he's, he has topped out so far at advanced A-ball. And that was last year, and he pitched all of 19 innings in advanced A-ball, and he had an ERA near six. Their 2017 first-round pick, Alex Lang, out of LSU, college arm. That's not a guy that should take terribly long to get through a system. Um, he has topped out at double-A, where he had an ERA of almost four in about 39 innings. Oh, and he's not even a Cubs anymore. He's a Tiger. I didn't even... <laughs> I'm a dummy. That's that's my fault anyway. He's not even with the Cubs anymore. He was traded to Detroit for Nick Castellanos. So they don't have him anymore. Um, Pierce Johnson, complete washout. Paul Blackburn, washout. Hayden Simpson, washout. Um, the last Cubs pitcher that they drafted in the first round who has made any kind of positive major league impact was Andrew Kashner, and that was a decade ago. I thought you were about to say, like, Kerry Woodard. This is not a team... Um, <laughs> Yeah, oh boy, Kerry Wood and Mark Parr. Let's just let's just leave them out of this. <laughs> this is not a team that has done well with drafting and developing pitching at all. You know, you look at, you know, you pull up their, um, you pull up their top prospects list. They, I mean, they have some good pitching. It's not to say that they don't. You know, um, 
but you look at, but, but I mean, even just on a, on a general top prospect list, your first Cubs prospect again, and this is a team that was built, you know, that world series winner was built essentially from within your first Cubs prospect in, in fan graphs, top 100 does not show up till number 46. And that's Nico Herner behind him, Brandon Davis at 50. And he's an a ball outfielder. I don't, I do not believe that there is a single Cubs pitcher in a global top 100 anywhere, you know? And so, you know, if that's the case, if you don't have anyone, Oh, okay. I have the finger says Braylon Marquez down at 114, but he's an advanced a ball lefty who probably won't be up in the majors for another couple seasons. If assuming everything goes to plan with him, this is again, this is not a team that has developed prospects well, or at least has not developed pitchers. Well, I see Fangrass hasn't done its its Cubs list yet, so nothing to be seen there. But again, you're, you, there's not a lot of so you're going to need they're going to need to do some rotation work. That's going to result. That's going to require money, and they don't want to spend it. So you're just guaranteeing by doing this that the Cubs, instead of having you know a, a ceiling of you know 92 plus wins, you look at this Cubs team now and the roster they have now. Assuming a full, uh, assuming a full. 2020 season had been played what are we what are we thinking wins wise hmm. i really don't know i don't i don't feel like this is a team that's that is probably going to win more than like 88 games well, i mean what did or would what have did Dakota had them last year like 79 something like that they had them last in the nl central i remember that that's going to happen at some point the bottom's going to fall out and then it gets really ugly because then you have to move Bryant really quickly. And then you have to make some tough decisions on Rizzo and Lester well, and even like... The problem is you have, you have, a, you have a, a good rotation. Not a great rotation, but a good rotation. Yeah. With some upside if Darvish can keep that second half, uh, if whatever he figured out in the second half last I year, he shook off. Keep going he's forward. motivated from the Astros cheating scandal. Uh, actually, not Maybe. down the pack. Maybe he's like, all right, that's off my back now. But like John Lester is John Lester is going to be thirty is turned thirty six in January. You know he is basically a league average pitcher at this point. Kyle Hendricks is a good pitcher. You know, despite working with like zero velocity, but Jose Quintana has been a mess since he came to Chicago. Tyler Chatwood was a total whiff on their part. So you have a rotation that's got a lot of question marks. You have a bullpen that, aside from Craig Kimbrell, is also a ton of question marks. And Kimbrell himself was terrible last year. I'm willing to kind of give him a mulligan on that because of just how screwed up his season was because he didn't sign until I believe June it was, but still not, not a good bullpen, not a bullpen you feel comfortable with unless you're a big fan of Kyle Ryan and Rowan wick, which I'm not sure why you would be. Um, the offense is still good, but you still have, you do have holes in place. The second base is an open question. Is that going to be Nico Herner? Is that going to be David body who, for some reason, Joe Madden really did not seem to trust, but maybe David Ross or Dave Ross feels differently. You know, is it going to be something like, you know, what do you do with Ian Happ? Is he the center fielder now? Yeah. At what sure. point do you just, dis- at what point do you decide that Jason Hayward is just not playable anymore? You know, that there's, there's clearly yeah. no, that there's clearly nothing coming there. Despite some spurts, that there's clearly nothing coming there offensively. Like it's, uh, how long can you play him just for his glove? especially given that he turns 31 in August, you know, that this is a guy whose, whose defense is probably going to start sliding sooner rather than later. I mean, offensively, Chicago isn't a good spot, but the other thing is defensively, this is not a great team either. 
Wilson Contreras is taking a step back defensively. I mean, I can't say I don't know enough about Bodie or Herner at second base to say for sure. And obviously, Baez is, is brilliant at short. But Schwarber is pretty much league average and left. Hap, again, have not seen enough of him in center field. But this is this seems like at best kind of an average to slightly above average defensive team. And I know that last year this was not a good defensive team. Um, this was uh, even just looking at, I mean, this is granted very uh, rudimentary, but looking at uh, defensive efficiency, the Cubs at a defensive efficient, defensive efficiency today at 681, slightly below league average, you know, bottom third of the league, not the worst team, but not great either. You know, especially when you consider top of the top of the league in defensive efficiency, Houston was 717. There's 30 points off first place. That's a lot. Um, it's just where, or even just looking to it, like it wins above average by, like where, where were the holes for Chicago last year? And second base was a problem. Center field was a problem. Left field was okay. Right. Field, like their outfield is just not very good. They don't have a great bench. They don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a farm system that's really producing much in the way of major league ready prospects right now, aside from Herner. This, like, I, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm as apocalyptic as you are on, um, on the Cubs and the bottom falling out, but it definitely does feel like this is a rickety kind of shaky foundation for them. I mean, I'm just waiting for it. Like they, we thought it was going to happen last year and it didn't. And the NL Central's tough and you still have the Pirates who I think are going to be really bad this year and are going to be bad for a while. The Brewers are the class of that division. You still have the Cardinals who, I don't think had a great off season, but they should be right there in the mix. Um, they're not contenders. Like they're not in the group where you're like, Oh, they could compete with the Dodgers. Like, you know, what's funny is I feel so much better about the diamondbacks than I do the Cubs, which shouldn't be the case. Cause there's more top end talent on the Cubs, but I, I don't know. Like it, they feel very average, and it feels like a waste of the prime of Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, Rizzo, guys like that. Like it just, it feels like they needed to do like a. You don't have to just be break the bank or whatever because you're worried about the TV stuff. But like, I think they just need something where it just feels like they're letting the wheels fall off bit by bit, and then they're going to make a move. Like they want to be forced to tear it down. You know what I mean? Where they want this group to fall apart and then be like, okay, see fans, this is all they could do. And that's what they end up. It's just kind of sad because if you remember how we looked at the Cubs after they won the world series and beat the Indians, and that's still probably my favorite world series I've ever um, watched in my lifetime. It's still my favorite. Um, And I remember being up at like two o'clock in the morning with the delay and everything else and Raji Davis and everything. But um, I think this is something where we will look back where we're just like, how did this not turn into a dynasty? How did they not win more than one? How did they not become the class of the NL for years to come? And it's just going to be a depressing line, which is they just didn't spend enough. That was it. And yeah, that's the thing. That's it. These last two, these last two seasons were really botched opportunities yeah. on their part because again, like they, you know, they, they should have won the NL central in 2018 and then just gagged it away to the brewers. Um, and then last season, last season being like, 
I, I guess better said, like the opportunity was there, you know. But it, also, it's like, not how do you like explain just not paying Chris Bryant. Like, how do you explain to fans like why you wanted to destroy this relationship with this player who was just awesome for years and helped you win a title? Like, I don't understand why they took the route they did. Like, it would be equivalent to the Braves just being ridiculous with Ronald Acuna for years. We were just like, good luck, man. We'll see it. Like, good luck in arbitration. You want to file a grievance? You want to get out of here a year early? Sorry. Like, it's just, it's an underrated part of this where you're like, you're the Cubs. Why did you do that? Why did you just torpedo this guy who should have been a Cub for the all of his prime? Like, there's no reason you should have let this happen. No, none at all, except money. And again, you, you look at the standings for the last two years, it's not like the Cubs have to deal with a Dodgers level team in their own division where it's right. like you could understand it's like, oh well, you know, it's not like one or two extra signings would have put them over the top. They still had a juggernaut in front of them. No. Cardinals won the Cardinals won the division last year with ninety one games. That's not that hard to overcome. You know, and yeah, the Cubs were seven games behind, but how much of that would have been different if they'd actually spent in the offseason prior and added bullpen help or they signed Craig Kimbrell. Why didn't they do that in January as opposed to June? They knew they needed help in the bullpen. They knew that Brandon Morrow was not going to be ready to close games. They knew that there was going to be some shakiness in that bullpen, especially given how hard Joe Madden leans on bullpens. Why was the move not made there? The, the thing that always asked me is, the Cubs, any time you talked about the upcoming free agency of Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, the Cubs were always mentioned in that group of they're going to go after them because they have the money, they have the ability, you know, they're a marquee franchise, and because of that World Series win, they're a contender. They're everything you would think, you know, that, that Machado or Harper would want. The ability to play for a contender, the ability to make a lot of money, the ability to be a face of a mega franchise, and they didn't do it. They just were not involved in either of those at all. And maybe with Machado, you can argue it's like, okay, they already have Bryant and Baez. Like, where is he? Where is he going to play? Fine, I'll, I'll give you that. You know, it's my my general strategy is you you get the good play, you figure it out later. It's not like like Bryant just played the outfield. You could have easily just moved him out there for good. But Harper Harper would have been a perfect fit, a completely perfect fit, and they just they just said no. And granted, so did a lot of other teams, but it just never. That's just. It just feels like at a certain point, you are just throwing away seasons. You're just saying, we'll take our chances. Maybe we win 85 games. Maybe we get lucky and win. And the, the core of this team is good on its own to win 95. But it really does just feel like the Cubs, maybe how much the front office agrees. It feels like Cubs ownership was like, this team won 100 and however many games, 103, I believe, in 2016. And this is the exact same core. Why can't they do that again? Why do we have to keep adding pieces to this team? You know, they showed they can win a World Series with the players who are already there. The thing is, like the twenty, the twenty nineteen Cubs, for all intents and purposes, are not m- m- hugely different from the twenty, uh, from the twenty twenty or from the start twenty twenty from the twenty sixteen Cubs. You know, I mean, it's just that Rizzo Baez is the better player now. Yeah, and like, yeah, they've lost, the, and the, and they've lost some guys, like you know, Jorge. I mean, Jorge Soler was not a big part of the sixteen team, but like. Yeah. Dexter Fowler's not there, obviously. Benzo, his whole situation has gotten very complicated. Um, you know, certainly Jake Arrieta. They don't have a Jake Arrieta. They don't have John Lackey. But like, for the, the most part, that fine, you know, yeah. the rotations like the rotation is not markedly worse now than it was back then. Looking back on it, that Cubs rotation was really good, um, and the offense, if anything, is probably better now. 
because you have a better Javi as a better Wilson Contreras. You have, you know, a better, maybe a slightly better outfield group. Either way, like it's that Cub, that 2016 Cubs team was better, but that core still remains intact. And you just get the feeling the Ricketts were just like, why can't they just be still be good? Why do we have to keep spending money to make this team good? And that, and that feels like a kind of common constant refrain you heard both going into last season and throughout it was this sense from for the front office of this team is more than good enough on its own. What is wrong? And I think they landed on, I mean, obviously they landed on Joe Madden simply wasn't connecting with the players anymore. And it, it just doesn't seem like the front office particularly had any affinity left for him by the end of his tenure. But that, that just felt like a constant theme was of, of the Cubs front office being like, what is wrong with this team? Why are they not as good as we thought they were? All the pieces are there. Why are they not competing? And it feels like, well, because you don't have any depth. When guys get hurt, which they're going to get, no team can go through a season with perfect health. You're you're going to get exposed. And when guys have when guys have season, and the thing is, like this is the argument I made with regards both to Machado and Harper, not just for the Cubs, but for any team that signed them. It's not just about raising the ceiling of your team by signing those two guys or one of those two guys or whatever. It's about raising the floor. It's about the at bats that go to Bryce Harper instead of going to Albert Almora or uh, to or to Jason Hayward if you decide you don't want Jason Hayward anymore, or if you're going to bench him in place of um, in, in place of Harper. It's the at bats that don't go to guys like you know Tony Kemp or or to the corpse of Carlos Gonzalez who they weirdly brought in for a few games. Mark Zagunis, you know, it, it, it's, it, that's the difference is you don't have to rely so much or don't have to ex- be exposed to guys like that who are just not major league caliber hitters. You know, you don't have to make a kind of panic trade for Nick Castellanos. And even though it was a really, you know, it was a really good trade and, you know, he, he performed really well for them. Well, now they don't have him anymore, which I also didn't particularly understand. It, it did not seem like Nick Castellanos was a guy who was going to cost a whole lot to pick to, to resign. And instead he goes to Cincinnati for, well, it felt like a pretty reasonable contract to me. It's only, you know, guarantee of, uh, 40 some million dollars, 46, I believe. Plus a, plus a mutual option for 2024 when, or not, sorry, not 40. It's like a 50 some, but again, that should be a drop in the bucket for the Cubs. 50 some million dollars should not be a lot of money for, for the Chicago Cubs. Cincinnati Reds can afford to pay Nick Castellanos. Uh, it's not 50. It's like 60, $62 million. I believe it is guaranteed total then why can't the Cubs that, that just doesn't scan. That is the weird thing to me. If there are teams like the Reds, who can afford to, that kind of outlay. Why can't the Cubs? Why can't the Cubs? That is like the, the 2020 <clears throat> slogan for them, right? Yeah. To a certain degree. Mm. Well, I don't, I'm not excited about them. I, I don't believe this ends well. I think the Chris Bryant stuff it's ugly i think he's going to be a free agent and he's going to make a lot of money and we're going to be like why did the cubs just not pay this dude um and then they're going to start tearing down they'll probably pay javier Baez a bunch of money and we'll see what happens to the tv contract but yeah i it's just sad they're just there the cubs are just going to be a solid good team that just isn't good enough to really compete and it just feels like a waste of a lot of guys primes and a last ride for lester and other 
pieces like that. It's just kind of sad. But I don't know. Maybe David Ross changes the makeup and these guys just play better because they're playing for David Ross, their friend. I don't I don't know. That That's a possibility. Uh, to wrap up here, what is your final opinion on the Chicago Cubs in 2020? Do they make the playoffs? Do they win the division? What do you think? I think they probably make the playoffs, especially if there's going to be expanded playoffs. I know we talked about the NL having this kind of group of like, six-ish teams that, you know, if you assume that the division winners, assuming the divisions stay what they are, are going to be Atlanta, the two of them are going to be Atlanta and, and Los Angeles. So I think are, that's that's a pretty, I mean, not a safe bet, because I mean, the um, the Braves certainly have competition these, but okay, you assume the Dodgers are going to be one of the division winners. It's mm-hmm. a really safe bet. You assume that one of Atlanta or Washington probably wins the East. You know, I don't, I don't feel great about the Mets, and I certainly don't think the Phillies are there. But regardless, you're your wild card chase is going to be one of the two teams that doesn't win the NL East and maybe including the Mets and maybe the Phillies. If, if things break right for them, you have the diamondbacks, you have maybe the Padres. who I know we both like as a kind of dark horse contender now that they're, you know, they're, they've gotten better. And then you have that mess of, of the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers, and maybe the Reds. So that's a lot of competition. And I, I can't say for sure which team would win if the Central stays together, which team wins the Central. My gut says probably either St. Louis or Milwaukee. The thing is, the Cubs do have upside. Again, you look at that roster now, even though it's even though it's it's lost pieces, even though they, they didn't bring back Nick Castellanos, even though you know they haven't done it, they didn't do anything this offseason. They still have Anthony Rizzo. They still have Chris Bryant. They still have Ibaez. They still have Wilson Contreras. They still have Hugh Darvish. They still have, ideally, if he's good, Craig Kimbrell. They still have the pieces that make them a contender. But just do they have enough consistency and depth to win the Central? Eh, I don't feel great about that. This is a team where one in, like, two injuries. If you lose Bryant and Baez for any extended period of time, this team goes down the tubes completely. And I think that's just a dangerous position to be in. I just don't feel like they have the kind of depth necessary to be a, an actual like legitimate contender. I think they're a clear step behind the Dodgers. I think I'd probably put them behind the Braves. I think they're just a better overall team. Um, I might put them behind the Nationals. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I think they could. I think they have, they're a pretty good chance to make the playoffs again, especially if things get a little reorganized and wacky, and especially if the season is shorter, because obviously shorter seasons um, benefits pretty much everyone when it comes to the the chance of making the playoffs, because there's just more more wild variants that can happen. Mm. But I don't know. I, I think they're a playoff team. I don't think they win the division, assuming the NL Central stays in one piece. And I do think that this is, again, we're going to see another, t- another Cubs season, I think, that's going to be kind of disappointing on the surface. And we're all going to go, what happened? Why is this team, why is this team suddenly just churning out like bland 85-win seasons when they, were, when they looked like the class of Major League Baseball three years ago, four years ago now at this point? What happened? And I think the, you know, the easy answer there is, well, they just stopped spending. They, they stopped. It's like they bought a house. They renovated it. They made it look beautiful. It won... It won an award like that those you know those fancy like home and garden magazines give out for like best house or whatever. Is, is, is that even a real thing or did I just make something up completely? I have no idea. I'm not a house guy, so or, I, let's let's believe. Let's go with it. Let's let's run with this metaphor. They did it. They won their award, and then they stood back and say, "Okay, no more, no more. We're not going to do any upkeep." And so the plumbing fell apart, and their whole like came into the roof, and the paint started stripping, and they just refused to fix it. You know, hey bud. Um, 
sorry, my, my dog is here and I said hello to him. It's a, it's a natural impulse. Okay. Please don't sneeze on me or stop barking. No one cares. Um, it's all good. They built the house. You know what's They funny? built the house. What's that? I'm interrupting this analogy because you just interrupted it with the dog, with, um, with a very good dog in my opinion. Um, even though he is barking, which I've never heard. I, I thought he was a mute. Well, there sure, you go. He barks. No, he is not a mute. He barks, and now you know what it sounds like. Well, no, I just got um, the notification yeah. that I got into grad school. But yeah, they they bought a house, they renovated it, they made it look nice, and then they stopped bothering with the upkeep. And I think that's just the Cubs at this point. And you wonder, it's like, well, now is it too late to, to make the house look good again? Or are they just going to have to start build a whole new house? I'm really just running this metaphor into the ground, but whatever. Do it. So that's that's the thing I feel about the Cubs. I think they're probably a playoff team. I don't think, I don't feel great about making them division favorite again. Assuming that the NL Central is a thing, I I'm right there with you. And it would be very Cubsy to just win the Central, them playing the season with David Ross, where he just flips the script and just not having Jim Madden there. I it would not surprise me. Like David Ross is buddies with all those dudes. If he just got them all on the same page and they just. All had career years. Yeah, sure. Maybe, Baez maybe takes another level. Chris Bryant takes another leap. Like none of that would be surprising. Like if Javier Baez is the best player in the NL next year, they should win the they should win the Central. Yeah, and that's that's also possible. Like we haven't really talked about Ross because it's kind of hard to quantify what a new manager exactly. does. But you know, there's certainly a possibility that he you know flips the vibes in the clubhouse. It didn't did not seem like that was a happy clubhouse last year. It seemed like everyone had kind of tuned Joe Madden out. It seemed like everyone was kind of tired of Joe Madden's shtick. So, you know, maybe maybe Ross brings a more kind of both, I mean, not laid back, it's kind of hard to imagine more laid back vibe than what Joe Madden puts out. But maybe there's more of an emphasis on, you know, whatever whatever it is that the Cubs felt like Joe Madden was not bringing to the table anymore, be it some sense of like lack of preparation, a lack of, you know, focus, whatever it is. Maybe, maybe Ross gets them to change that and maybe they, maybe they, clean up their game a little bit because that did seem like a team too that just play kind of sloppy baseball a lot you know maybe they tighten it up and maybe that's where a few extra maybe they squeeze a couple extra wins out of something like that but you know it, it's oh just it's God. hard we're to, talking ourselves into the cubs winning the nl central i am not doing that but i'm just saying it it's certainly possible that ross has a positive impact that you know goes beyond whatever the whatever the roster is built out of but at the end of the day like i just still think there are holes on that team and a lack of depth that's going to hurt them in the long run. Although, again, shorter season means that that lack of depth and those holes are probably less of an issue unless someone gets seriously hurt or injured. And then, you know, you you know what, what would have been Chris Bryant is out for six to eight weeks, you know, is less of a concern in a 162-game season, but in an 81-game season, suddenly that is a massive, massive problem. But, you know, we will have to wait to see how the how the season plays out if that's the case. There we go. All right, John. Well, this has been great as always, sir. I appreciate the time. Um, we will be back next week. Who are we, who are we talking about next week? Who, who's your choice? Uh, I don't know. What, who are the interest? Who are the interesting you teams this at this point? Week, who, you picked the Cubs this past week. I get to pick this one. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Say so you pick. You pick. I'll, I'll I'll talk about whoever, as long as it's not like the goddamn Mariners or something. Oh, you know what? The Mariners are on my list, my short list. Um, you know who we we have to talk about next week? Who I really want to talk about? Who's that? The Oakland A's. Okay. I like the A's. 
like the A's a lot. I do too. Like, like it the Diamondbacks. Me how those, much I like the A's. Of... Like it would not. Like I'm very like the way people talk about the Rays. That's how I talk about the A's. Yeah, I mean, like like a like the Diamondbacks or like the Rays, a smart team that gets a lot out of a little. I mean, you know, obviously the thing with the A's right now is how insanely cheap they have been acting in the in, in light of this whole season, yeah. maybe or maybe not happening, but. No, it's a, I like the A's. I like what they're doing. I think, you know, we'll probably get into this, but I think especially with the way Houston has taken a step back, not just with all the, you know, the trash can banging, but also I just, I don't think they're lost. They obviously lost Garrett Cole and they didn't really make a big addition this winter. I think this is probably the best chance, assuming the AL West stays in, in one piece. The are hurt. There's the like, twins are yeah, there's a, spot. Like the, there's the A's a, have an opportunity here. Yeah. The A's are a real dark horse. Like if you want to pick a dark horse pennant team, I think it's probably the A's. You know, we're on the same page. There we go. It's not the order. Right, I would say. It's uh, not. It's, it's not. It's uh, not. <laughs> All right, John. Well, I appreciate the time as always. We will talk Oakland A's next week. Stay safe, sir. And I will talk to you soon. That's it. Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by a first-timer, Billy Binion of Reason Magazine. He's an assistant editor there. And you know what, Billy? You know what I love? You can't hear this on your end. Um, I'm a big ASMR person. Like, I, I listen to ASMR rooms all the time, all day long. Okay. Reading and writing. It sounds like there's an ASMR playing in the background of this podcast. Like, you're driving and where you're going. It... It, the sounds of the road is going to be the backdrop of this podcast. So I am enthused, and this is great. Like, I'm going to be so relaxed talking about it. I'm glad it's not a distraction. <laughs> um, it is great. It is great. So how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? As well as you can in 2020. Like, well is... Um, That's fair. It's, it's a different type of thing in 2020. Um, I, I don't know, man. I've just... I've been reading a lot. I've been reading Reason. I've been reading a bunch of my books. Um, I'm very frustrated that 24-hour diners and libraries haven't opened back up yet. That are you? Yeah, like that. That's my bread and butter as a um, reader, writer, loner. Um, that is my my happy place. Because I don't know if you're like me, so but you're like, right. writing in your house sucks. Like I get so annoyed in my own room writing and doing everything like podcasts i've just taught myself to just do my my studio and my place but like writing i just feel cramped i need to be out i need to be at a diner i need to see stuff and i need some like weird noise around me um and then the library i just i love getting new books and being able to just escape for hours on it so yeah that those are my two spots that i need back desperately yeah i feel that this this quarantine is testing my patience i was just venting this one the other day about the the qualms i have with being forced to work on my bed for half the time so i, I never feel as quite as productive as i right. as i'd like to do you know what helps and i read this and it, it they're the right people ask me why i do this because 
it, it's a bad like people are like oh why aren't you comfortable like there are a lot of people who just like immediately change into sweatpants when they get home from work I am the exact opposite where like I I just can't focus all the way if I'm not in like my normal going out into the world attire like I, oh, yeah? I dress well and I I just can't I can't do it like I need to be in my my dress shoes my chinos or oh wow like my pull yeah i like that's it like turns my brain on to hey it's time to be efficient and focused and productive interesting i have not changed out of athleisure wear for the last <laughs> three months think, so. yeah maybe it's uh, maybe it's just me um well, <laughs> you wrote a piece for a reason yesterday that i wanted to talk to you about because i am in the interest of full disclosure from stone mountain Savannah, Georgia. Okay. There is a rather large monument on the side of Stone Mountain that okay. still stands, and it's gone up. And uh, like, there's just been conversations about it for years and years, and there'll be conversations forever. Um, but it is something that I think is important and interesting. And there seems to be a moment across the country right now, especially in the South, that you touched on. But I want to start with why are there still in your estimation so many confederate memorials when as you start your piece of reason which i would encourage everybody to check out is that lee robert e lee did not even want these monuments like he did not like the just the sores of war like not to broadcast that or remind him like why are these why were they built and why weren't they all immediately put in a museum Sure, it's a great question, and I, I do want to start with that quote because it is so interesting. I remember when I found that, I was just kind of floored. Um, essentially, Robert E. Lee was a staunch opponent of these Confederate War memorials because he just said he felt like it memorialized the most divisive time um, in U.S. history. And granted, I mean, it, you could argue that it still is the most divisive time in U.S. history, although 2020 feels like it might be a close rival. Um, but I think part of the history that a lot of people don't understand, and I think it's very well-intentioned. I, I also grew up, um, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, old capital of the Confederacy, not far away from what's called Monument Avenue, where there are lots of Confederate memorials, one of them of Robert E. Lee. And I did hear those calls a lot of like needing to preserve heritage. But I think that the heritage people are preserving is not exactly what they think they're preserving. And when I say that, I mean that a lot of people don't realize that these memorials were actually erected between 1900 and 1930. So long, many decades after the Civil War concluded, and it also coincided with uh, Jim Crow, the Jim Crow era. And so essentially a lot of these Confederate memorials were erected and subsidized by people that were trying to reinvigorate that cause. Um, I go into the piece about a lot of the, the atmosphere behind a lot of their unveilings. They were often done in whites-only ceremonies where the Ku Klux Klan showed up. I found something from the Delhi Progress in Charlottesville where there's this very generously framed article about how the Ku Klux Klan was so impressive and they did public cross burnings to unveil the Robert E. Lee statue there. Um, and essentially, a lot of the speeches at these unveilings, it was made very clear that the statues were supposed to send a message to blacks that while they had won the literal war, they would still lose the ideological one, which is why you saw these things popping up years and years and years. I mean, 1930 is decades and decades after the Civil War concluded. You would question why anyone is still thinking about that cause, the cause of the Confederacy. And it's because racism was still very alive and well, and they weren't ready to let go of that of that ideal. I mean, I'll also mention another statue that was not a Confederate memorial, but there was one 
of a man named Edward Carmack, who was an early 1900s state legislator in Tennessee, who in his news, he was also a newspaper publisher, and he called for the firebombing of civil rights activist Ida B. Wells in an editorial that was published and well-received. And his statue up until a few days ago still stood in front of the Tennessee state capitol, which is just kind of amazing. Um, because why are we celebrating that? If that's the heritage we're preserving, certainly put it in the museum, keep it in the history books. But I don't understand why we give it the celebration really fit for only history's best heroes. Yeah, there's a lot there. And I, when you read the piece, I don't know what the case is. Like if you're one of the people who it's like the, and you touched on this too, of the heritage, not hate thing where you're just like, eh, that, that doesn't really work because of when these monuments were brought up and the just the history surrounding them. And I I don't know. Like, I, I, it's pretty damning to me that just, like, there's really no case here. And it just feels, especially in 2020, just kind of gross if you're going to try and make that case. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know where that is, and it's going to be uncomfortable if you try and do it. And it's just... It's just no. Like, it's one of those things where we, when you think about it, you're like, how did this happen? And, like, there's there's legitimately no ideological argument that you could put together to say that these belong here. And now you see that they're just being removed everywhere. Do you think it's going to be a mass removal? Or do you think this is just going to be um, different spots like in Nashville and other areas where it's just, we're going to have some, but not everywhere? I mean, I think it'll take a while for it to be everywhere. Who knows? Maybe everywhere will never happen. But I, yeah. I will say that in, Bur- in Birmingham, um, obviously, there is a lot of racial tension and his- a history of racial racial tension, rather, in that area. And they took theirs down. Alexandria, Virginia, from D.C., uh, also a very conservative area, one where one of the Daughters of the Confederacy buildings is, who often funds, or not funds, but very much works towards the preservation of these monuments. They gave the green light to take the, the statue down in Alexandria. So I think there's a, a movement there. I mean, I will say one thing is that I think that these calls for heritage are certainly well-intentioned. Um, I don't think anyone who says that is necessary. I mean, perhaps some people who say it are racist, but I think the vast majority probably do really believe that. I also think there's something to be said for the fact that in 2020, everything is political. You know, masks are political. Social distancing is political. Confederate monuments are political. You know, like, if, if you feel that you know, strongly about something already, I think there's this gut impulse to double down because that's just the environment we're in. Yeah. Um, and I don't Autumn think Confederate Monuments are different. Autumn podcast about this, by the way, just, which is so she, good of, like, how difficult it is to rewire your brain, like, studies where someone has told uh, a lie and then within five minutes told them that like what they just told them was a lie and they still have like part of their brain where they can't quit the lie. Like the way our brains work, they just can't quit it. Yeah. I think I've read that it's the same, the same part of your brain lights up that's associated with physical pain. So you're very much inclined to double down. Yeah. Uh, And I, I, one of the things that I often hear from um, Confederate Memorial supporters is this idea that, Civil War wasn't about slavery, but was about states' rights, um, which is interesting, I mean, to kind of set out my Southern bona fides. Like I said, I grew up in the capital of the Confederacy. Um, I went to school where in, at least 10 years ago when I graduated high school, they still had in the textbooks that so the Civil War was about states' rights. So I understand why a lot of people think that. But that historical narrative has been 
debunked over and over and over again. It essentially surfaced right before World War One and again during the civil rights era to, like I said, justify this racial ideology, um, meaning that, like I said, the Civil War was about states' rights and not slavery. There was one big part of the Civil War that was indeed about states' rights, but it was about Southerners complaining that the Northern states weren't allowing them to bring their slaves with them to their vacation homes. That was the argument over states' rights. So you can get in, you can repackage that as states' rights, but obviously there's still racism at the core of that because it's just another argument about slavery. Yeah, it, um, the, the times are just so strange for this and it, it does feel good though, I guess in a way where these are coming down because like Steve King is defeated. Like it's been a good week for that kind of stuff, right? Like yeah, Steve King going this, down this, and monuments going down that, uh, yeah, these are positive steps. It does feel, I will say I, I, you know, after living through, you know, Ferguson and I don't, these types of riots kind of coming going, not every two years rather, but this isn't the first time. I do feel like something feels a little different. Um, you know, I was really, really surprised pleasantly to see that Alexandria voted to take their statue down, uh, same in Birmingham. A lot of times when these statues came down, it was because protesters pushed them down and then the city was just like, okay, well, okay. Uh, oftentimes, you know, in, in progression, for instance, they often vandalize the statues and people come, you know, clean them up and make sure they look nice again. And like I said, very much double down on those. But it seems like there is some sort of a change now where people are, are kind of asking, is this really worth it? What does this really add to our community? I don't buy like it's I would call their bluff because I think a lot of people who do the heritage, not hate thing and say that this is a very important part of who they are and like you can't erase history things like that i don't think they'd notice or care if the monuments were gone i really don't like there is a there was a um street in downtown atlanta called confederate avenue forever it was just called yeah. confederate avenue for like, it's really close to me it changed to i don't even know what the new name is spear it, i forgot the new name but it's it changed it got a lot of people up in arms for a week that they were changing the name and then people moved on they don't care anymore it's just like that's just a thing that shouldn't have ever existed especially in downtown Atlanta and now it's gone and people moved on and they call it the new name which I'm blanking on right now but I think that's what would happen with all the monuments and everything else it's just I would call their bluff and just look at what people are thinking two weeks after they're all removed nobody would care like Stone Mountain if you just uh, took off the Davis and Stonewall and Robert E. Lee's sculpture or whatever people would freak out for a week and then they would move on because oh i definitely agree like people would move on i don't believe anyone actually cares about this kind of stuff and that if you really care put it in a museum that's where it belongs in a museum away from the public but these public shrines and these weird like it's just it's not okay like it's 2020 there's no argument and i also don't believe that you would actually be affected at all by all of them being removed it would help more people than it would hurt and that's ultimately what you should be thinking about is the greater good. And there's no reason to suggest that keeping them is for the greater good. Get rid of all of them. And if you really want to keep them, put them in a museum. But I don't believe that people would actually freak out and like lose their minds months on in and really, really care. Oh, I, I mean, I think there's something to be said for the fact that our attention span in this country yes. is very short. Um, and we get very passionate about these things for a little bit. And it, it does certainly come in waves. Also to what you just said about 
people who, who, you know, call to preserve history. That's why I am totally fine with, like I said, keeping them in the history books and putting it in a museum, taking these uh, statues and putting them in museums. When you have the word memorial, you are naturally celebrating something. It's yeah. right there in the name. Um, you can't really get around that. Um, so certainly preserve history. But like I said, I, I, I'll never understand kind of the veneration of one of the most awful times in U.S. history, one of the most racially fraught. I often hear people push back and say, well, then you have to take down Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. And I just don't buy that argument because while they owned slaves, that was not what they represented. And what I mean by when you see Robert E. Lee, a Confederate war memorial, we are celebrating the cause behind the Confederate, behind the cause of the Confederacy. Obviously, I don't support that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. But the symbol behind the Confederate monuments was the Confederate cause, which was a racist cause yeah. and a racist heritage. Yeah. And I think we're moving in the right direction, though. Really. I think that's the one thing, based on what I've read um, across the, the landscape, it seems like we're moving in the right direction. This moment is forcing people to reassess whether or not this is a thing worth preserving. And I think overwhelmingly we're going the, the the good way which is nice to see because 2020 has been just an abject disaster um i know right yeah it's been pretty bad yeah little things little things um all right man well this has been great i appreciate the time is there anything else that you would like to share before you get out of here no this is great thanks so much for having me thank you billy go read his piece on reason.com and uh keep up the great work sir and we'll talk again soon thanks bye This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.